You give Teller from Jerusalem 20 minutes, and he'll give you the education of a lifetime. King of the storytellers and the Shakespeare of the Torah world, here is Rabbi Hanok Teller. Hello out there in podcast land. Welcome to Teller from Jerusalem. I'm your host, Hanok Teller. Here is my unsolicited interpretation and editorial of what Grand Mufti Husseini perpetrated. He lived in Jerusalem. He was well aware that the Jews had not made a single attack on the Al-Aqsa Mosque and were never planning to do so. But he understood the Muslim mind very well. Muslims do not tolerate any insults upon their shrines and certainly not upon their holy sites or Muhammad. We all remember how the world went crazy when a Danish cartoonist illustrated a caricature of Muhammad with a bomb in his turban. Muslim groups in Denmark complained, and the issue eventually led to protests around the world, including violent demonstrations and riots in Muslim countries. Islam has a strong tradition of anachronism. It is considered highly blasphemous in most Islamic traditions to visually depict Muhammad. Anachronism is the practice or belief in avoiding or shunning of images of divine beings, prophets, or other respected religious figures. The cartoons of Muhammad insulted Muslims. Danish Muslim organizations objected to the depictions and petitioned the Danish government to take action in response and filed a judicial complaint against the newspaper, which was dismissed in the courts in January 2006. After the Danish government refused to meet with diplomatic representatives of Muslim countries and would not intervene in the case, a number of Danish imams visited the Middle East in late 2005 to gather support around the issue. They presented 12 cartoons from the Danish newspaper, some of them real and some of them fake, including one where they claimed Mohammed was portrayed as a pig. This last image was proven to be an Associated Press photograph of a pig squealing contest. When they presented this and other falsehoods, when this delegation was presented with the fact that they were representing things which were totally false, their spokesman admitted the goal of the tour had been to stir up hostility. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Hajim al-Husseini all over again, making up false claims in the hope that it will lead to riots, violence, and deaths. The issue received prominent media attention in some Muslim-majority countries, leading to protests across the world in late January and early February 2006. Some escalated into violence, resulting in more than 250 reported deaths, and on the attacks on Danish and other European diplomatic missions, attacks on churches and on Christians, and a boycott of Denmark. In the years since, jihadist terrorist plots claiming to be retaliation for the cartoons have been planned, and some executed, against targets affiliated with the Danish newspaper that published the cartoons, against the paper's employees, against Denmark, and other newspapers that published the cartoons and other caricatures of Islamic prophets. The most famous, I guess, was that of Charlie Hebdo shooting in 2015, which we will get back to. As a consequence of the cartoon and the Danish paper, 10 Arab countries rescinded their ambassadors or closed their embassies in Denmark. The EU office in Gaza was burned to the ground. Other European countries reprinted the cartoons and demonstrations erupted across the Middle East. The Norwegian and Danish embassies in Damascus were attacked and set on fire. The Danish embassy in Lebanon was set on fire. In violence over the cartoons, at least five were killed in Afghanistan. It's just boggles the mind. The whole world is set ablaze 
because of a cartoon in the paper. Freedom of expression is not one of their strong suits. Now back to 10 years later, where Charlie Hebdo, much better known as simply Charlie, that's a publication that has always courted controversy with satirical attacks on political and religious leaders. It published cartoons of the Islamic prophet Muhammad in 2012, forcing France to temporarily close its schools and embassies in more than 20 countries amid fears of reprisals. Its offices had been firebombed in November 2011 after publishing a previous caricature of Mohammed on its cover. The deadly assault on the offices of Charlie Hebdo in Paris is the latest in a long series of threats, plots, and attacks in response to controversial cartoons. There were mass demonstrations by the Muslims in France over the Charlie Hebdo cartoons. Ditto Lebanon, Ditto Malaysia. This was followed by a leading Iranian newspaper conducting a Holocaust cartoon contest. French police arrested several people plotting to assassinate the cartoonist and break into Charlie's office with guns and kill as many people as possible. Worldwide, there were 26 arrests on similar charges. Two years later, the cartoonist's home was invaded by an axe-wielding intruder. One year later, Charlie Hebdo's offices, after publishing an additional cartoon of Mohammed, were burned, and yet a subsequent cartoon resulted in the magazine's website attacked. France was forced to close its embassies in 20 countries. Then Charlie Hebdo released an illustrated biography of Mohammed, and one month later, gunmen launched their deadly attack on the magazine, killing its editor and 11 others, meaning killing 12 and wounding 11, as well as an attack on the hyperkosher, murdering four Jews. It took me quite a while to compose this list, and I'm sure I missed several, if not many, violent incidents. I did not even mention the false rumor that in a prison camp in Afghanistan, a copy of the Quran was flushed down the toilet. Don't ask what this false rumor led to. A medical school professor in Pakistan claimed that Muhammad was born without pubic hair, and he was condemned to death. And the list goes on and on and on. France again would be visited by Muslim wrath over cartoons. The backlash began when Macron refused to renounce caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad after a teacher was beheaded earlier this month for showing them in a class on freedom of expression. Because of the Muslim propensity to violence that Khaj Amin al-Husseini exploited and encouraged, encouraging jihad and making a society where violence is not only accepted but considered noble, a society where a terrorist who blows himself up and murders scores of innocent people is to be rewarded with 72 virgins. Boy, I, 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 I can't even describe how this does not speak to me. I felt that more understanding is indicated. This directed me, at the suggestion of Michael Medved, to Bernard Lewis's work. For centuries, the world of Islam was in the forefront of human achievement. The foremost military and economic power in the world the leader in the arts and sciences, Christian Europe was seen as an outer darkness of barbarism, an unbelief from which there was nothing to learn or to fear. And then everything changed. The West won victory after victory, first on the battlefield and then in the marketplace. In 2002, more books were translated into Spanish than were ever translated into Arabic over all of time. Thus, the renowned authority on Islamic affairs, Bernard Lewis, wrote a masterwork entitled what went wrong? Lewis examines the anguished reaction of the Islamic world as it tried to make sense of how it had been overtaken, overshadowed, and dominated by the West. 
It's not typical for style for Teller from Jerusalem, but I'm going to read a long selection from Lewis's work. I mean, several parts of the book, which I'm going to put together. So bear with me as we read some selections. It's a sophisticated approach, and it's, it's eye-opening. In the course of the 20th century, it became abundantly clear that things had gone badly wrong in the Middle East, and indeed, in all the lands of Islam. Compared with Christendom, its rival for more than a millennium, the world of Islam had become poor, weak, and ignorant. It was bad enough for Muslims to feel poor and weak after centuries of being rich and strong. To lose the position of leadership that they had come to regard as their right— and to be reduced to the role of followers of the West. But the 20th century, particularly the second half, brought further humiliation. The awareness that there were no longer even the first among followers, but were falling back in a lengthening line of eager and more successful Westernizers, notably in East Asia. The rise of Japan and other Asian economic powers brought only reproach. The proud heirs of an ancient civilizations that had gotten used to hiring Western firms to carry out tasks of which their own contractors and technicians were apparently incapable. Now Middle Eastern rulers and businessmen found themselves inviting contractors and technicians from Korea, only recently emerged from Japanese colonial rule, to perform these tasks. Following is bad enough. Limping in the rear is far worse. By all the standards that matter in the modern world, economic development and job creation, literacy, educational scientific achievement, political freedom and respect for human rights, what was once a mighty civilization has indeed fallen low. So the question is, who did this to us? Is of course a common human response when things are going badly, and in the Middle East, past and present have asked this question. It's usually easier and always more satisfying to blame others for one's own misfortunes. This made the events of 1948, meaning the creation of the State of Israel, all the more of a shock. As some writers observed at the time, it was humiliating enough to be defeated by the great imperial powers of the West. But to suffer the same fate at the hands of a contemptible gang of Jews was intolerable. Anti-Semitism and its image of the Jew as a scheming evil monster provided a soothing antidote. Starting in 1933, Nazi Germany and its various agencies Made a, made a concerted and, on the whole, remarkably successful effort to promote European-style anti-Semitism in the Arab world. The struggle for Palestine greatly facilitated the acceptance of the anti-Semitic interpretation of history and led some to attribute all evils in the Middle East, and indeed in the world, to secret Jewish plots. I'm going to have a little compassion on you and skip some more from Bernard Lewis, but hear me out. A more sophisticated form of blame game finds its targets inside rather than outside Islamic society. One such target is religion, for some specifically Islam. But to blame Islam as such is usually hazardous and not often attempted. Dennis Prager relates the following question. He asks, what would happen, let's say you're, you're a long, young lady, and one evening you're walking down the road, and as you're walking you see four youth coming at you, in a dark alley. You notice on closer inspection that they're carrying books in their arms. Now, how are you going to feel when you see these four youth coming at you? Obviously, your pressure, your blood pressure is going to increase. You'll be nervous and scared and consider running away. And then you look closer and you see 
that they are holding Qurans and they've just come out of a mosque. Now, how do you feel? Let's be honest, you feel terrified. Now, let's say you're a young lady walking in the dark and one evening you're walking down the street and then coming at you are four youth clutching books in their hand. You're about to get nervous and then you look a little closer and you notice they're clutching Bibles and have just come out of a church from Bible study. Now how do you feel? Relaxed, comfortable, and at ease. It's quite remarkable. We go back to Lewis. The main culprit was the relegation of women to an inferior position in Muslim society, which deprives the Islamic world of the talents and energies of half its people and entrusts the other half's crucial early years of upbringing to illiterate and downtrodden, downtrodden mothers. The products of such an education, it has been said, are likely to grow up either arrogant or submissive and unfit for a free, open society. I interrupt Bernard Lewis with a short selection from Now This World, a progressive social media-focused news organization which took great efforts to prove that the West does not fully understand Islam's position on women. So what does the Western world often get wrong about women in Islam? To start, public debate in the West often characterizes women in Islam as subordinate to men, and in some ways, inferior as a result of Islamic scripture. Men having multiple wives, women being forced to wear facial coverings and not allowed to leave the home are often used as examples of such oppression. Many believe that Islam's holy book, the Quran, dictates these rules and is thus inseparable from the values of Islam. But this is not quite true. While there are, in fact, Quranic verses which say that men are in charge of women... Now resume and go back to Lewis's What Went Wrong. Several Muslim states that have preserved the Nazi fascist style of dictatorial government and indoctrination through a vast security apparatus and a single all-powerful party... These regimes have failed every test except survival and have brought none of the promised benefits. If anything, their infrastructures are even more antiquated than those of other Muslim states. Their armed forces designed primarily for terror and repression. For the oppressive but ineffectual governments that rule much of the Middle East, finding targets to blame serves a useful, indeed an essential purpose, to explain the poverty they have failed to alleviate and to justify the tyranny they have introduced. They seek to deflect the mounting anger of their unhappy subjects towards other outside targets. To a Western observer, schooled in the theory and practice of Western freedom, it is precisely the lack of freedom, freedom of the mind from constraint and indoctrination, to question, inquire, and speak, freedom of the economy from corrupt and pervasive mismanagement, freedom of women from male oppression, freedom of citizens from tyranny, that underlies so much of the troubles of the Muslim world. If the peoples of the Middle East continue in their present path, the suicide bomber may become a metaphor for the whole region, and there will be no escape from a downward spiral of hate and spite, rage and self-pity, poverty and oppression. You may finally exhale from Bernard Lewis's sophisticated analysis. Thanks for listening to Teller from Jerusalem, where this series takes an intelligent and thought-provoking look at the past in order to acquire a perspective on the present. Spread knowledge by giving us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. Join us next time for a brand new episode and be sure to visit tellerfromjerusalem.com where you can find more details about the show and other useful information. Check out the site store and just by inserting the TFJ code, you receive an additional 10% discount off the already 
very reduced prices of Ulchanoch teleproducts, books, lectures, and documentaries. And remember, don't forget, you can get Tele from Jerusalem on any podcast platform or go to telefromjerusalem.com.